Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Pod bless, everybody. I'm your host of OPP, Corey Cambridge. And before we get started with this amazing episode, I want to tell you about my other show, Silent Giants. Silent Giants is a podcast that highlights the superstars behind the scenes of popular culture. Ever wondered who made the MTV logo? Did you know the person who wrote Earth, Wind & Fire's hit song September? Also wrote the theme song for the hit 90s TV show Friends? On Silent Giants, we learn more about these amazing people and dig deep to learn more about their most famous works. Be sure to check out Silent Giants on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Now, let me introduce you to our special guest of OPP. I'm Rhea Ramjohn, host of the Hormonal Podcast, and this is OPP. Pa bless everybody, and welcome back to another episode of OPP, Other People's Podcasts, America's number one podcast discovery platform that highlights your favorite podcasters and the dope shows they created. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. Our special guest this episode is poet and novelist Rhea Ramjohn, host of the amazing podcast Hormonal, a podcast brought to you by the app Clue. Hormones affect everyone and everything, from our skin to stress to sports. To clear things up, each week, Rhea Ramjohn is asking scientists, doctors, and experts to break it all down for us. Rhea is also the co-host of the Tanty Table podcast, where she invites artists, scholars, and community organizers to have amazing conversations that will make you laugh, cry, and definitely highlight the powerful Tanties in our lives. Rhea is currently residing in Germany. So in this interview, we're going to learn more about her. We chat about her life in Germany. We get her podcasters picks. And of course, we chat about her dope shows, Tanty Table and Hormonal. So let's get into our interview with Rhea Ramjohn. Rhea, what's going on? How you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks so much, Corey. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Yo, I, I, oh, first of all, you're very, very welcome. I have an affinity. I've never been to Germany, but Ger- I would say Germans are my favorite people in the world. What? So I, I have, a, <laughs> yeah, I would say Germans, Australians, uh, Filipinos, and Greeks are like my favorite people. So how did Germans end up on that list? Actually, there was a girl I dated here in New York. Ah, she was it's mad always cool. a girl. It's always a relationship. <laughs> <laughs> always. I, I picked up a little German, you know what I mean? A little Alo. My name is Corey. Oh, sehr gut. You know? Yeah. Du kannst auf jeden Fall Deutsch sprechen, Corey. Wunderbar. Oh, yeah. We- Oh, yeah, we done, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I got Danka, Truce, Fazis Das. Wow. And that's about it. Wow, you guys had a long relationship, huh? <laughs> you know, it, it could have been longer. It could have been longer, but but it was impactful nonetheless. Yeah, I mean, how, that's, some, you, that's some good German. 
How'd you end up in Germany? Oh, it's a long story. Um, I first came to Europe actually on a school trip when I was 16. So it was, you know, the love affair has been going on for quite some time. And um, I didn't come to Germany on that trip. It was um, France and Spain. And, you know, you can imagine as a 16-year-old walking up like into a bar in (laughs) France and ordering uh, some alcoholic beverages and a pack of cigarettes and just thinking like, this is the bee's knees and this is how my life should be. So basically I fell in love with Europe at that age. And, um, once I finished my studies, um, in the U S at university, I started looking for jobs in Europe, um, where I could become, uh, an English as a foreign language teacher. And at that time it was easiest to start in Germany. Like the visa requirements weren't as difficult. So, So that's how I basically ended up here. And 15 years later, (laughs) I'm still in Germany. And where are you from originally? So I'm originally from Trinidad and Tobago. What up, my people? Um, And then I lived in Boston for some time. So it's a little bit of Trinidad, Boston, and Germany. For myself, I am a, you know, Black American you know, based here from the South uh, and, and from Richmond, Virginia, but also been living in New York City. Um, but you've had the experience of having a global Black experience, being from Trinidad and Tobago, mm-hmm. living in Boston, and now in 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 Germany. Yeah. What is the Black experience like, um, and what what has it been like for you in Germany? Oh, that's a great question. So first, I lived in Southern Germany, where um, I think a lot of people don't even know how to talk about race. Um, And Germans in particular, when they do talk about race, it tends to always be within the context of World War II and um, the Jewish community. But in the last five to 10 years, I would say, especially in Berlin, we've had um, a real coming to terms with what is the black history in Germany? Because there definitely is one. There's one that's been going all the way back to, I would say, the the 18th century. Um, for instance, I'll give you a great example. W.E.B. Du Bois is one of like the fathers, the architects of um, black American scholarship. He actually went to um, university here in Berlin. And we have a long history of um, artists from the United States living in Europe, you know, from Josephine Baker to um, James Baldwin. That was in France. But there is something to be said about the fact that there is a history, even though a lot of Germans don't want to talk about it, probably because they also are not taught about it. Um, But I had the lucky chance that during my master's here in Germany at the University of Freiburg, that one of my professors actually actually focused a lot on teaching us the history of um, black people in Europe, especially in Germany. And uh, we also had Paul Robeson. He was um, a great, he was admired by the GDR, um, the German Democratic Republic during the times of um, the separation in Germany. He was highly admired. And uh, there are even streets in Berlin that are named after him. So there is a history there. I just think that the Germans, um, unfortunately did not have that as a focus in their education. And in the last five or 10 years, um, a lot of people who are of both Black and German heritage have been, 
you know, succeeding and really coming to the forefront with their scholarship and with their artwork and saying like, hey, we're here. We've always been here and you really need to acknowledge us. Um, One of the bad things that I think has happened in Germany is that uh, many Germans wanted to discredit that there is such a thing as a black German. Um, And so a lot of my peers and cohorts have unfortunately undergone a lot of racism in the way that Germans will ask black Germans, like, where are you from? Uh, When are you going back to your country? You know, they really like do not understand that there are really black German people here. Now that's changing. um, And I'm really happy that, that that's changing. And I'm so proud of all of the people who are working so hard towards that. And actually a Caribbean American um, scholar and artist and poet, Audre Lorde, was a big part of that community in the 90s. So she lived in Berlin for quite some time and um, working with a local um, black German poet, Mai Aim, they were able to coin the term Afro-Deutsch or like Afro-German. And so there are strong communities here like Adefra, um, and uh, there are many communities that exist to basically promote the Afro-German experience. And even within that, we also have conversations about like the Afro-Caribbean German experience, like mine, for instance. We also have people who, black and brown people from all over the world who have a long history of migration to Germany and um, they, their ancestors have been here and they're doing the work basically to make sure that that comes forward, not only in just the common knowledge, but also in pop culture. So we still have quite a ways to go for all Germans to be on the same page because, you know, Berlin is a little bit of like a cultural island in this country. Um, but I think we're heading in the right direction. For, for the listeners who've never had, who've never been to Berlin, tell us about what's taking place there culturally right now. Oh, a lot. And it's happening at a huge exponential rate. Like it's, it's really fascinating. Um, yeah, I guess a lot of people around the world have always seen New York as that way. Um, in the last couple of years, I have noticed that we have a lot of New Yorkers moving here. So <laughs> maybe, maybe that's just like the next step for a lot of people. Um, because I have heard that New York is very expensive. Um, Berlin is still relatively affordable. And actually, on the weekend, we just celebrated 30 years of the fall of the Berlin Wall. So there's quite a lot that's going on culturally. Um, Also, in terms of anti-colonialism or the anti-colonialistic Uh, the anti-colonial movement. That's also quite strong here. So a lot of people don't know, Germans included, that uh, Germany also had a colonial history and or has a colonial history. So I would say like we have this really sweet spot, um, like an intersection of art, scholarship and activism that that's happening in Berlin. And a lot of times, um, people's practices will overlap. So you will very often find someone who is an artist is also involved in a lot of community organizing and activist work. So that's sort of like the the unique thing about Berlin that we really love 
That's what we really love about this city, that it still seems to be fairly affordable. We're all plagued by gentrification. Let me just put that out there. Like, that's for sure happening everywhere. Um, But for the most part, people really are still fighting for their communities, for their communities to be heard. And um, there's a lot of DIY art that happens as well. Um, There's a lot of artwork and art movements that are happening outside of institutions. So I can say that for myself, for instance. Um, I started a woman of color empowerment group, which is called WAVE. It's women of color artists, academics, and activists in vernacular expression. And vernacular being specifically an indicator of everything that's happening sort of outside of an institution and without one very specific language. Because, I mean, I'm in Germany and I'm, I have the, the, the luck that I can operate in English and sometimes even in Caribbean English and also in German. And a lot of my peers and friends can also operate in their native tongues. So that's what we mean by vernacular. And we have this opportunity to um, create on our own. And I think that that's a beautiful thing. Like we don't have to depend on institutions. It's nice to get funding. I'm going to put that out there (laughs) because funding is always something that's hard to come by, uh, especially as an artist or an activist. But basically that's the unique thing um, about our city. Everybody is able to create and, you know, we don't need the approval of um, any sort of institution to say, like, this is good art or this is legitimate. We basically do it for ourselves and for our communities. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Rhea, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to your podcast. Okay. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Great. Rhea, we back. Okay, so, so Rhea, tell me, how did you first discover the medium of podcasting? Ooh, so I would say it goes back actually all the way to like being four years old uh, <laughs> in Trinidad with our big radio, me and my brother. My brother was the person who um, introduced me to music and radio, basically. Um, his name is Richard. Hi, Richie. And um, he's about a decade older than me. So, you know, I was the annoying little sister, but thankfully he put up with that and basically took me everywhere. And he was the first person to thrust a microphone in my hand and we would play around with the sound system. And um, I just fell in love with radio at an early age. And then later, uh, when I was like a preteen, teenager, just just as I had moved to the U.S., um, my mom would listen to a lot of NPR in the car. And I remember thinking, like, what is this AM radio sounding thing? Like, why is she listening to this? But, um, yeah, as my, you know, my mind matured, I realized that this was some really important um, information and programming that we were getting. And I became fascinated with NPR. And then shortly after that, 
I moved to Germany and I didn't speak a lick of the language when I arrived here. So I basically depended on the NPR um, programming that was uploaded to the websites. You know, this is right before basically podcasts were even that term podcast was coined. And uh, my friends and I, we would just download a lot of these um, programs like Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. I mean, even Car Talk, because it reminded me a lot of Massachusetts and of my stepdad who used to work with cars. Uh, Once podcasts came out and I was also living in Berlin. Berlin is one of the very few cities in the world where there's actually an NPR um, station outside of the United States. So we're really lucky in that way. And, um, you know, you can't take a radio with you everywhere. But at that point, we all had smartphones and we were able to, like, download podcasts. And that's how I just I wouldn't say that I necessarily fell in love with podcasts then. I would say, like, that's when I just continued, you know, my love of listening to radio programming and what we know today as podcasts. Tell me the story of how it came to be that you, you know, became a podcast host yourself. Like I said, I was mostly listening to like NPR programming. And um, as soon as Snap Judgment came on, you know, that's when I started to realize that there was a completely different aesthetic form to podcasting that was possible. So this really like storytelling format and um, using these great um, this great audio engineering to to build a scene this in your ears. I, I just like fell in love with Snap Judgment. And uh, then shortly after that, Two Dope Queens came on, you know, with, with um, Phoebe Robinson and Jessica Williams. And they were hilarious. And I was like, wow, black women on the radio. This is so great. <laughs> I still call it radio. Oh, my God. Um, but black women in podcasting and they were funny and they were genuine. And they talked about all the things that me and my black girlfriends talk about, um, even though we're not professional comedians, like we could really relate and then, you know, the show didn't last that long. And then I just kept going through, you know, Spotify and Apple and just all the major platforms to find something that sounded like them. And there aren't that many, or at least at that time, there weren't that many. So I just thought that it would be great to hear my friends uh, on a podcast. So after toying with the idea for about a year, I finally just, you know, snagged two of my closest girlfriends and said, listen, I don't care like what, you know, that we don't have any sort of background in broadcasting or audio engineering like we just need to record us talking because we need this representation people need to know what we really sound like when we get together and that's what we did like I literally had like no um no plan no outline I just I didn't even have a microphone. I just opened up a laptop and hit the record button and said, okay, let's just have a conversation together. And those two friends were um, Rihanna and Mariama. So Rihanna is actually from the UK, a black woman from the UK, and Mariama is Afro-German. So I thought that it would be a great opportunity to not only show Berlin, but to show the entire world that we have a black diaspora that's very alive and dynamic. And it's not this two dimensional thing that it's like all black 
people are this particular way or all black women are this way or all black women speak English or all black women um, uh, in the UK are from the Caribbean. Like we wanted to break through all of those stereotypes and of course also showcase our Afro-German um, peers and friends. So that's how uh, we started our very first podcast, which was called The Tansy Table. And we we still have The Tansy Table. Um, this year, we actually have two new co-hosts because Mariam and Rihanna are traveling. Um, so the two new co-hosts we have this year are Hueti and Armegan. So Armegan is Afghan-German, keeping that German part very much alive on the podcast. And Hueti is um, a South African artist also living here in Berlin. So we're just continuing this conversation of having everyone at our table and having as much representation as possible. And I have to say one more thing about the name Tansy. So being that I'm from Trinidad, anyone from the Caribbean who hears Tansy is going to know that that means auntie. Um, and in the Global South communities, I think you can also relate to this as well, Corey. The auntie figurehead is very important. Okay, we all have an auntie or several of them, whether they're blood relatives or not. Um, but they are some sort of femme that we can confide in and also like get into a little mischief with <laughs> and have like a good cackle with and a good laugh. Um, and that's why we basically named it the Tanty table because it's like a bunch of aunties together and it also serves as an acronym for what it is we discuss on the show which is t-a-n-t-i thinkers anecdotes news taboos and intersectionality what do you want listeners to walk away with from the tanty table podcast I want people to be able to know that the kinds of conversations that we aunties or tanties or black and brown people are having at our tables are just as nuanced and complicated and problematic as probably every single person's family's table out there. You know, so we are talking about sex. We're talking about sex workers. We're talking about what it means to be an auntie, what it means to be an artist, what it means to... Um, to be spiritual or not spiritual, um, what it means to be an immigrant, a person of color, what is colonialism, decolonizing practices in our lives. Um, we also just drink a lot of wine and tea and coffee and just have a moment to just be ourselves with all, without all of the burdens of what society puts on us that we have to be as so-called black and brown people or black and brown aunties or black and brown femmes in this world. So, Rhea, uh, you also uh, have a podcast called Hormonal. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so tell me the origins of how Hormonal came together. All right. So... Uh, actually, I was um, approached by this fantastic producer, Cassandra Sunt, um, after she heard our Tanty Table podcast. So Cassandra is this fabulous podcasting um, creator, consultant, producer. Um, she's an awesome basically mentor for me in a lot of ways. Um, and there is a company that's based here in Berlin. It's um, internationally known as a period tracking app. It's called Clue. And they were toying with the idea of having a podcast and they were looking for a host. And um, through Cassandra's magic, they were able to get in touch with me. And I'm lucky enough to be now the host of the Clue podcast Hormonal. Give the elevator pitch for listeners of what 
uh, Hormonal is all about. So Hormonal is a podcast that is brought to you by Clue that gives you the menstrual encyclopedia about everything that has to do with hormones, menstruation, and cycles that are going on in a person's body. And we're not talking about just cisgendered women here. We're talking about every person's cycle because there are many people who have menstruation and actually all of us have some sort of cycle. I find this very, very interesting, and I see this as being the future of where podcasting is going, and I would love to get your, get your take on this, that um, I think that companies are going to start investing in podcasting the way they do in social media, right? Like, mm-hmm. yes, it's important to have an Instagram, but it's also, and this is an amazing way, podcasting is an amazing way to have uh, your brand message sent out to the masses, like what is your take on this? And are you seeing this kind of being more of a trend um, in the podcasting global space? Excuse me. Yeah, yeah. I absolutely have noticed that. Um, I even heard recently that Trader Joe's has a podcast. So um, definitely um, I've noticed a lot of brands creating their own podcasts, um, not only to get themselves out there as a brand, but I think also to get their information out there. So the one thing I'm really proud of um about Clue is that they have always been, and they were basically one of the very first period tracking apps um, to exist. They are really invested in helping people get information. That's why we call ourselves a menstrual encyclopedia. So it gives you the opportunity to basically go on their website and look up any word, um, any topic that you think might even be related to menstruation or to hormones. And as I said before, it's not only for people who have menstruation. I think that what they're doing is fantastic because it basically hormonal creates a platform for scientists and doctors to come on to get information to the general public. So, I mean, how many of us are deciding to go to university and, you know, major in a course on um, endocrine technology. Like, that's not something that the general public is doing. But is that information actually important to the general public? Yes, it is. So what they're doing is making sure that we can get this information into the consumer's um, hands and that they can decide for themselves how they want to best, you know, protect their body, make sure that their body is functioning as beautifully and um, healthily as possible. So a really good example would be um, one of the most recent episodes was about pollution and how pollution affects um, the, the reproductive system. And again, all of us have reproductive systems. They may all work a little bit differently, but the science shows that pollutants do affect all of us. Another one was skin. We all have skin. Skin is very much um, tied to our hormonal cycle. Um, Skin in of itself, which I came to learn, has its own cycle. It's like a 60-day cycle, basically, before all of like your cells and your skin are completely overturned. And when we're talking about hormones, we also have to talk about stress. We have to talk about the history of hormones. You know, where even did the term hormonal come from? Well, it comes from the word hormone, which comes from the Greek hormoa, which means to excite. And, you know, when you're listening to the podcast, you'll hear these interviews with doctors and scientists um, and scholars who have spent a lifetime of doing research in these areas. And 
they are more than happy to get this information over to the general public. And they have been revealing to me, and I think pretty much to all of our listeners, how sexist and gendered this um, research field has been. And that's no fault to the, the current day scientists, but this research has been going on First of all, not that long. And um, secondly, when it did start up, it was dominated by cisgendered heteronormative men who had really messed up ideas, Um, you know, and I don't want to swear on your show. So I'm just but I'm going to be polite. (laughs) Really fucked up. It's fucked up, Corey. (laughs) Fucked up ideas about people's hormones and about people's sex organs and about, you know, what it meant to be a woman. And that's why we have all of these gender terms about like, oh, she's so hysterical or a lunatic or um, she's hormonal. You know, it's like all of these things are supposed to somehow be tied to like the moon and the, the, the ovaries and the uterus. But actually, like, it's it has just gotten in the way of doing more research. The pill was only introduced to the public in 1960. And for like the first five or 10 years, it was entirely too, you know, potent actually for the human body and created all sorts of like jacked up things um, for women and their partners and their children. It just created havoc. And that's what we're finding. So if you think 1960, I mean, that's like. That's not that long ago. And we still have so much more research to do. And especially now in this time where we're basically all saying time's up, like we need to talk to more women. We need to talk to more trans women. We need to talk to more gender nonconforming people, Um, people who uh, intersex people, um, non-binary people. We have such a, a huge outpouring now of voices that need to be heard. And I think that's what makes Clue's um, endeavor so fantastic. And I'm so proud to be a part of it because they're allowing for us to have not just conversations, but really educated conversations and a lot of scientific information about what is going on with our bodies and very much so also in regards to sports in regards to pms um and in regards to food so you're going to hear more about that in on this season and um i'm really proud to be a part of it and i'm also learning a lot for myself because you know we just grew up at a time where you know, it was it was taboo to even talk about PMS and periods and menstruation. So I'm really glad that we can finally be out in the open and have these these very educated conversations about our bodies. Yeah, you, you touched on this a little bit, um, you know, previously. But you know, what do you want the listener to walk away with overall uh, from listening to Hormonal? Well, I definitely want them to walk away with knowing that. Being hormonal or having hormones is not something that is uniquely uh, being cisgendered, heteronormative woman slash female. Um, being hormonal is all of us. We all have stress that affects our lives. We all have hormones. And the more educated we are about how our bodies function and also how external factors, including sexism, um, racism, 
and all sorts of phobias, how they affect our lives, that means that it also affects our health education. And we we want everyone to have the correct information at their fingertips and now basically in their ears. <laughs> wow. Uh, Rio, we have come to a point in, in the show called mm-hmm. Our Podcasters Picks. And this yes. is when I ask today's special guests to give me their top three favorite podcasts and describe them to the audience. So, Rhea, take it away. Just three, Corey? Oh, my God, there's so I many. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. So, um, recently, um, I cannot get enough of Still Processing. I also really love Air Hustle. Um, it's you know sometimes it's a bit, it's a bit sad to hear people who are incarcerated, um, but Glenn Washington and Nigel Port they do such a great such a great job. Sorry, not Glenn Washington. Um, um, Elon Erlon Woods and Nigel Port. Sorry of um, Air Hustle. I really love the way that they are able to bring their two very different worlds to one place and encourage audiences to um, look at people in a three-dimensional way and not just, you know, categorize them into one box. So I love Air Hustle and um, and I also listen to a lot of Reply All just because I don't consider myself the most technologically savvy person. So they basically keep me on top of my game and... Um, so, yeah, it would be Reply All, um, Air Hustle, and Still Processing because Jenna Wortham, I love her. <laughs> and so, uh, Rhea, before we get out of here, why do you podcast? Uh, I podcast because I really love connecting with people. And I also hope that, you know, for any person out there who's feeling very alone, uh, they always have the opportunity to put a podcast on and feel like someone is not only representing them, but that there is someone who they can relate to, regardless of our backgrounds, our skin colors, or our identities. All right, Rhea, take care. Truce. Thank you. You too. We'll be in touch. All right. All right. Bye. Pa bless you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Thank you all so much for tuning in to another episode of OPP and to our special guest, Rhea Ramjan. You can find her podcast, Tanty Table and Hormonal, on Apple, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. This episode was mixed by Six Sense. Music for this episode is produced by Richie Quake. And are you down with OPP? If so, please be sure to leave me a five-star rating in the Apple app and let me know your favorite podcast in the description. Lastly, before we get out of here, check out my other show, Silent Giants, which highlights the superstars behind the scenes of popular culture. And you can find Silent Giants on Apple, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Well, I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. God bless y'all. Till next time. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues 
your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 